People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Philip Bergman is our guest today on Health Gig. Philip is the founder of Mind Body Fitness and has been in the health and fitness industry for over 30 years. His company focuses on the whole person approach in helping individuals optimize their true potential. He spends his days as a certified health and life coach, educating and empowering his clients to take responsibility for their wellness journey and teaches them how this directly impacts their quality of life and longevity. The integration of mind and body is at the cornerstone of Philip's work. His clientele includes all kinds of people at different places on their wellness journey. He works with elite triathletes, Fortune 500 CEOs, and has dedicated a lot of his time to working with combat injured soldiers dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury. He's also a well-regarded trainer who helps individuals recover quickly from joint replacement surgery. Philip himself is a six-time Ironman finisher and is a five-time recipient of the U.S. Triathlon All-American. We are so excited to have Philip with us today to talk about what we can do to become healthier and happier. Welcome, Philip. Philip, welcome to Health Gig. Thank you. Great to be here. Looking forward to sharing some insights and teaching people about some strategies and tools to optimize productivity, which ultimately leads to higher performance. That's exactly what Trisha and I want to talk about today. We want to ask you all about how to best optimize our health each and every day. And so We're going to ask you to break it down for us as if we're having a coaching session. So tell us really how we can plan our day to have better focus and ultimately to end our day with a wonderful sleep. Well, just a little bit of some basic biology that's important to sort of preset all of this. Um, The body operates on a 24-hour cycle. Very important thing to understand. Um, This is controlled by your circadian rhythms which are linked to your body's actual internal clock and your sleep-wake cycle. Circadian rhythms are very important in determining a lot of your natural sleeping eating patterns. And they are also very involved in brainwave activity, neurofunction, uh, cell regeneration, immune, uh, hormonal, and probably metabolic function. So they're pretty critical. And the ideal protocol really is to figure out how we optimize the circadian rhythms and the leverage, I think what would be described as leveraging your body's intrinsic or internal technology, getting up and getting moving. The real key that has been sort of researched and understood by some of the neurobiologists that study the awakening process and how to get the circadian rhythms going, it seems that forward motion combined with light exposure through the optic nerve seems to be the key to activating the right amount of cortisol, which is what really triggers the circadian rhythm. So early light exposure also profounds, profoundly affects a lot of the hormones and metabolic functions and mental focus. The, the cortisol should be released in a very small amount. And this is very important when people wake up in the morning. Cortisol basically starts to peak the day, gives us a certain amount of energy, levels off in the day, and then tapers off into the evening, which allows another hormone, melatonin, to kick in that allows us to prepare for sleep. When people first get up, there's a tendency to like grab two shots of espresso, for example. Mm. And this seems to be 
uh, almost an overstimulating response or creates an overstimulating response to the nervous system. Even though it prepares your brain to be alert and focused, it can almost agitate your brain a little too much. So it's recommended that you get up first thing in the morning, go for a walk, get some light exposure. It could be 10 to 15 minutes. Even if it's cloudy, it doesn't matter. Light photons still get through. And then wait to take your caffeine about 90 minutes after you wake. So that seems to be the optimal way to actually get circadian rhythms going, to activate the part of the brain that's going to provide focus and alertness for the balance of your day. So Philip, okay, yeah. so step one, we wake up in the morning and you get up and um, you make sure the lights, you get outside is the Natural idea. Natural light. Natural light. Natural light. Okay, so you can open up your shades if they're not open, but you want to move is the idea, right? Ideally. So, ideally. ideally. Because, and some people, because of whatever restraints or environmental issues have around them, it, it, even if you just got to walk around inside your house with natural light, that will stimulate this process. What that's doing is almost like hitting the button saying, okay, we're awake. Yes. Uh, cortisol, let's get, get going. Cortisol is the thing that gives us our energy, right? Yes. The one thing that's very important to realize is that you want this cortisol to almost be pulsed. It's a very small amount that gets released at a time versus this like surge of cortisol, which is, can cause a very stressful response. And that's what too much caffeine first thing in the morning can actually do to your brain. So this is the more passive way because your brain really wants to idle low beginning and actually get revved up. It's very interesting. So people who overstimulate it sometimes have a reverse effect and then they become anxious and their brain is not really alert and focused to do tasks of work. That is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you're saying wake up in a, in, in a kind of conscious kind of yeah. way, a slow, mindful way, exactly. uh, making that sort of your mindful practice. And then you can have your coffee or your caffeine or whatever you yeah. said within 90 minutes after right. you do this movement. Exactly. Okay. Check. Okay. We've got step one, Doro. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to, there's going to be some changes that need to be made in my, in my routine starting right at the beginning. Uh, so what's the next, what's the next step? So the next thing you would do is some of the things that I like to talk about that I tell my clients is to sort of come up with some best morning practices. It's really sort of like getting used to a certain routine. Um, one of them is hydration. It's been show, the research shows that actually hydration, which is important throughout the day, really needs to happen early in the morning. And it's important also to add to the water some electrolytes. Um, there are different forms of them. There's a company called Noon, N-U-N, or Element I think they're both great companies. Yeah, Element. That's the one that we've been working with is Element. So that's what. What this does is it actually contains magnesium, potassium, and sodium in the right amounts that actually stimulate brain neurons to fire and to communicate with each other. So it's really an essential way to actually start getting the, the brain and the nervous system kind of functioning properly. As I said, you can have your caffeine you know, 90 minutes after you wake. People who decide to want to exercise, I usually recommend if you, because of your day and how it's been straight with work and kids, and especially if you're staying at home now because of the stay-at-home protocols, um, I like to get my workout done after I do my short little walk, or you can use your walk as part of your fitness, and that should be somewhere between 30 minutes and 60 minutes, and I'll talk a little bit later about what the ideal form of exercise is and duration and stuff for optimal brain function a little bit later, so that's a good time to do it. After you exercise, 
that's when I would eat your breakfast. A lot of people decline breakfast and, and either because they're just not in the habit or they're not hungry when they wake up. If you work out a little bit before you uh, eat, it'll actually activate your hunger a little bit. So breakfast at that time is a good thing. Now, I tend to want to you know, sort of focus on one of the best nutrients that you can put into your body, and that tends to be more proteins and fats in the morning. And wait for the midday or end of the day to add your carbohydrates because that tends to change some of the brain hormones, like you know, activate serotonin and melatonin a little bit more. Eating a balanced breakfast and just, and if you're carb sensitive, meaning you've got insulin and glucose intolerance issues, then you've got to be really careful with your carbohydrate intake at that point. So what about intermittent fasting? What are your thoughts on that? Intermittent fasting is great and it can be done a different, several different ways. I find that it's pick a block actually of when you eat, which is ideally, let's say, for eight hours. The rest of the time you're fasting and that could be done eating could be like 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. or 10 to 6, and then you stop eating. And intermittent fasting seems to have a good effect on metabolic processes, on cognitive function, on weight loss. Some people do it a little bit too extreme. The science kind of shows that if you do intermittent fasting, you can do it, let's say, ideally for five days a week, and then kind of lay off it for a little bit, and then do it again, because that way your body can sort of the change is variability is good for your hormonal system and for your metabolic processes. But intermittent fasting has been shown to have some pretty good, good effects on cognition and alertness and focus. I have no problem with it. It's just pick that eight-hour period when you're going to eat and stick to it. And stick mm-hmm. to it. And so in this case, you have your breakfast and you're saying to do a protein and a fat, proteins and fats. Ideally, yeah. And you can, you, can, you can focus in on, you know, you can make yourself a, a nice protein uh, shake that has kale, spinach, and protein powder, and and uh, various different avocados are really wonderful in the morning. Or you can just go with traditional eggs, which are good for you. And it turns out that the cholesterol in eggs is actually fine for you because the brain actually needs cholesterol. And it's one of the things that sort of you know was a myth for a long time that we got to cut our cholesterol down. But eggs are actually, if you get them from a good source, much like any of your dairy or any of your fats, you want to get it from an organic good source. And that's very important. So eggs, turkey bacon, eggs, chicken sausages are wonderful breakfast. I eat it all the time. And it seems Mm. to give me good sustained energy. Um, And then even late morning, um, I sometimes if I'm hungry, I'll grab, uh, you know, um, an organic power bar, something from a good company that's low in sugar, but it's got good, good fats and proteins in it. And there are a variety on the market right now. And that will sustain you you know, mid-morning to late morning. Mm-hmm. And all this time, continue to hydrate. It's really important. People tend to forget, even if you hydrate first thing in the morning, you should be hydrating through your day. I mean, I basically keep a glass with me with electrolytes in it. The other thing about electrolytes, aside from the fact that it nourishes your brain really well, it actually allows for water to be absorbed into your tissues. Otherwise, it goes right through you. And elderly people always complain about this. The fact is they don't want to drink too much because they have to bathroom all the time and they're not consuming enough electrolytes so they're not absorbing water where it needs to go which is Mm. by the way profound on your brain and dehydration which is caused from lack of fluids can actually cause your what they discovered it can actually cause your hippocampus which is a part of your brain that supports memory shrink and one of the things they found with alzheimer's and dementia early onset is that people's brains were actually shrinking and it was caused from dehydration 
doesn't matter if you're a certain age to, you know, and you, you've not been, say, a water drinker, but let's say someone heard you say that and they're in their 70s or something. Um, is it too late? It's, it's never too late. It's never too late to adopt healthy behaviors, whether right. it's I'm going to start exercising every day or I'm going to start you know, cutting down my refined sugars. I have a lot of elderly clients who for years or decades did not drink water. And, you know, it's sort of like one of these things of attrition. Obviously, there was some, you know, aging and you know, sort of like physiological changes that were not beneficial to them. But what I found with them is that they flavored their water. It was more consumable. Like, uh, you know, diffused water with lemon or watermelon or orange. As long as it wasn't plain water and there was some taste to it, they were more prone to, you know, take it and consume it. I think that's such a good point. And that's why I think like you're mentioning element is the one of our choice right now. And it actually is easier to drink. Like you can just drink it. And the flavors are, I think, good, you know, really good. And and the other thing that's great about the electrolyte infused water, it's great for athletes. So if you're out there training for an event, now mind you, of course, if you're training for a marathon or triathlon, your exercise needs are going to be a lot greater than the average person who is just trying to be fit and healthy. But their, their need for electrolytes is even greater because of the amount of intensity they, they engage in, but also their sweat rates are so much greater that they sweat out almost all of their electrolytes. Mm-hmm. So they have to replenish. Mm-hmm. So even for the athletes, it's even more important. But even so, and I think that that's so great that you're mentioning it sort of in the early part of the day, because when yes. we wake up, there's been a lot of breathing going on and hopefully that eight hour period while you're sleeping. So you do wake up yes. dehydrated, right? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people don't recognize it. If you get in the habit of drinking water or electrolyte infused water, it takes about two weeks for your body and brain to get used to the new routine. I mean, most habits take a little while, but you'll start reaping the rewards right away. And it'll kind of like reinforce like natural biofeedback that you want it and you should take it. And you'll see the difference. It's pretty profound. Mm-hmm. So we've got the you know, water consumption, getting the early light exposure, your brain operates on 90-minute cycles, whether you're awake or whether you're asleep. And your sleep cycles, basically, are 90 minutes. You go into a very light sleep, a deep sleep, a REM sleep, come out of it slightly, you do it again. So there's five of those periods every night. They found in doing some of the research that the optimal way to take advantage of that 90-minute cycle, especially for focused work, is to figure out what time you woke up. So let's say you woke up at 6.30 in the morning. You go two hours back to 4.30, which is what they call your body temperature minimum. This is what the research found. You add five hours to that time, it brings you to 9.30. That seems to be the optimal time for a work block that will be incredibly focused and where your brain alertness is at the highest. So it's very interesting. So some people, of course, have no choice. They got to go to work at seven or eight in the morning. And, you know, sometimes they struggle trying to like get focused and problem solve or take on a whole bunch of stimuli coming at them. But if you have the control over your work environment, that 90-minute block, five hours after the time that your body minimum temperature is, is the ideal time to start working. So wow. 9.30 would be the perfect time. And they've done amazing research on looking at people in terms of what their productivity was in that 90-minute period. And it was quite significant. God, that makes so much sense, Doro. You often talk about, share that because <laughs> it's really true. Yes. <laughs> I wake up early and I say to Trisha, I can do my best work in the morning early. And um, it's just remarkable how 
much more focused I can be. Absolutely. And if, so if you're eating a balanced diet early in the morning, got early light exposure that sets off your circadian rhythms and the cortisol, get a little exercise in and you know, time your caffeine, because if you take your caffeine, this is another thing that's interesting. If you wait 90 minutes after you wake up, so you have it at 8 a.m., for example, the caffeine effect will last a lot longer today. Mm-hmm. You don't need it again at 12 or 2, which will really interfere with your body's ability to go to sleep. Caffeine has a shelf life of 12 hours. And even if your body gets used to the caffeine effect, which makes you alert and kind of, you know, sort of highly focused, the caffeine effect still still um, operates even at a more subclinical level in terms of how it affects the hormones and your circadian rhythms. So I find if you delay the caffeine intake, it has a much better effect on a brain that's been woken up properly versus one that's been you know, just jolted. You know, stunted, yeah, jolted by the caffeine first thing. So that that actually is a great time to have your caffeine. And you can have caffeine again at two or three. I just would never have caffeine after three o'clock because at that point, your cortisol levels are starting to drop, which is starting to activate a whole new restful period into sleep. And you don't want to agitate your brain and your nervous system at that point. There's been such a resurgence with coffee um, and how healthy um, it can be, or then there's the other side of the coin of the people that say it's completely unhealthy. What's your take? The source of caffeine is very important. You really have to get an organic coffee that's grown in what they call a very shady environment because a lot of the processed ca- coffees, which, by the way, that I hate to say it, it's available in a lot of the coffee shops like Starbucks, has a lot of mycotoxins and little fungi that you can't even see. So they tend to be a little bit more, I would say, toxic to the body in terms of the gut, how it affects the gut and ultimately the brain because your gut and brain are connected and they do communicate with each other. Like I'll talk a little bit about that as well. So an organic form of coffee is super good for stimulating that sort of nervous system to fire at an optimal level. It also is very good for fat metabolism. People who want to lose weight um, and drink, uh, uh, you know, 80 to 100 milligrams of coffee during the day, it helps to stimulate fat metabolism. So for losing weight, it's good. It's also been shown to have an, a positive effect on Alzheimer's. That was some new research that just came out. So for people who are showing early onset signs of dementia or Alzheimer's, coffee is, is a positive. Straight up black coffee? Or uh, does it? However you like it. If no, you want really. to you want you can order. You can add a, 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 a organic, um, you know, cream, mm-hmm. or you can use uh, some people like a natural sugar, like a stevia or, a, or, or organic sugar cane. Mm-hmm. But I would not be, you know, you know these, these ultra, you know, sort of dessert type of coffee drinks are, you know, cause all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, it's just an overload of sugar. Right, mm-hmm. right. Which you definitely don't want in the morning. Which you don't want in the morning, and you really don't want it during the day. Ever. I mean, yeah. sugar has a lot of talk a little bit about sugar, but it has a lot of you know, consequences in terms of general inflammation in your gut and in your brain. In fact, it was interesting, there was a study done not, not too long ago looking at the impact of sugar on dementia and Alzheimer's, and they started classifying Alzheimer's as diabetes 3. That they found that sugar actually exacerbates some of the beta amyloid plaquing that's found in the brain, which is the hallmark of Alzheimer's. So they found if you cut back on sugar, it cut back on the inflammatory response in the brain. Another reason to get off sugar, or refined sugars anyway. That's an important reason to get off sugar. What are the other reasons? It has a, a profound effect on a 
lot of hormones. Um, it affects your gut more than anything. So for example, your microbiome, which is your gut flora, is really critical to your immune system. It's also critical to your cognitive function and the balance of your hormones. Um, sugar stimulates, how do I say this? It stimulates neurons in the gut. It signals something called dopamine, which is released, in, released via the vagus nerve, which connects the gut to the brain and increases your sugar cravings. So sugar just creates a dopamine release in the brain, which actually just creates more sugar craving. And aside from you know, the, the issues around um, your brain inflammation, gut inflammation, of course, you know, sort of the precursor to diabetes. And people who eat too much sugar sometimes don't even realize that they're pre-diabetic. Some people can't process sugar. Now, I found that a lot of the athletes that I work with who were high-intensity exercise, did a lot of endurance training, and actually break down sugar a lot more effectively and utilize it as fuel so it wasn't trapped in the gut. It was actually taken into the cells and taken into the muscle as used as fuel. So if you're an endurance athlete, your, your requirements for carbohydrates, which is what sugar is, is okay. For somebody who's more sedentary who sits at a desk and works at a computer all day, it can be pretty profound. I think in terms of metabolic impact, neurological impact, it's been pretty significantly. Yeah, and also it's just so highly addictive, right? Yeah, and that's the dopamine release. I mean, people yeah. don't understand what triggers your cravings, and it's neurochemical. And, you know, that could go back to stay hydrated. Yes. Maybe sometimes the hydration, you feel a little low energy, and then yes. your body's like, oh, I need a hit of something. You right. know what I mean? And yeah. maybe if they would take some water with electrolytes in it, that might satisfy it. Absolutely. I just, I know personally of that experience <laughs> myself is yeah. that when I start feeling the energy go down, I'm like, oh, wow, a chocolate chip yeah. cookie, I'll just have a little one yeah. or I'll yeah. just do this or that, you know? Absolutely. But, and that's also when you can grab a hold of a, you know, a, a healthy energy bar. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I like nuts. I actually eat walnuts and cashews and sometimes we'll just snack on some almonds. They're mm -hmm. a great fuel for the brain and also satisfy your hunger. It's a great satiety. Right, it right. Cut your, your craving for a carbohydrate very quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, I, I, sugar, you know, it's one of the things. We consume way too much sugar. And, and what I like also about is introducing more water into your diet or even finding, you know, there's some really natural good teas that are good to drink, which also have a lot of polyphenols and bioflavonoids, which are great for inflammation and for your immune system. Mm -hmm. um, just got to be careful with green tea because sometimes it can be caffeinated. And if you have it late in the day, it can uh, spark your energy a little too much. It's like anything, right? Surrounding yourselves with, with support or people with support. But I find myself, because I struggle with the sugar addiction, I find myself like when I'm going to the sugar addiction stuff, like I kind of like hanging around people that like sugar. You know, my other regular friend, other friends are like that aren't into it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to hang out over here now. <laughs> okay. you know what sugar, sugar's not all the same. There is right. there are forms of sugar. Like, you know, artificial sugars, like the artificial sweeteners are very damaging to the, the oh, brain right. and to the body's immune system and the body's gut. Right. Uh, so, you know, more natural sugars, or don't have that same effect and don't create that spike also, which right. triggers that whole insulin response. Mm. Right. Sugars are, are not all the same, which is important. Right. That's a really good point. Differentiation, absolutely. You know, so then I wanted to talk a little bit about your work setup for your day. Uh, yes. Talk a little bit about hydration. You should always position your screen at eye level. You shouldn't be looking down at anything, especially oh. 
Um, there seems to be something with the optic nerve and the tilt of your head and your eyes looking downward. It can cause a lot of problems with alertness and focus. Um, so in walking, I know a lot of people who use standing desks, for example, they don't want to sit. Those are great too. The very desk standing desk is a, is a really good option from spending too much time in the sitting position. I mentioned that your brain operates on a 90-minute cycle. You should really get up after about 90 minutes. Ideally, you should go outside and walk for 10 or 15 minutes, stretch, move your body, get exposure to light again, and that helps to reset that you know, focus again. It's very significant and it's pretty, you know, pretty clear. In terms of your surroundings, if you can have more natural light coming into your room versus artificial light, it is way better for your brain, way better for your focus, way better for your eye relationships with gadgets. So I would strongly urge trying to position your workstation here and open window to get natural light. Um, so that's really important. Low level noise has been helpful with people concentrating. Something like a fan running in the background, low level white noise. Um, they found that when they did studies on people's concentration and alertness, that if there was like low level white noise in the background, that they were able to concentrate better during that 90 minute period. Interesting. That was also, it could be your AC running in the background. What about the people that work outdoors? They're exposed to the light all the time. How does that affect um, your work day and what do you do about that? So it's really interesting. People who work outdoors, uh, <laughs> their their whole biology has to adjust because they're constantly being exposed to light. Now, if you're working, depending on what you're doing, if you're out there farming or you're out there doing labor uh, or you're you know, working as a lifeguard at a pool, first, you don't want direct sunlight into your eyes. It's good to you know, be able to just allow light to come in, usually peripherally um, or just in general, uh, but you don't want to stare at the sun for too long. Um, people who work outdoors don't seem to have a lot of the same concentration and focus on work problems, but then again, they're not sitting down on a focused task working in front of a screen on a project. So there hasn't been that much work done in terms of studying how what the impact of being outdoors is. They tend to actually have less health issues, less inflammation issues, um, because they're moving their bodies constantly, mm-hmm. which is really what the body is designed to do. I mean, the weird, the weird thing about sitting is that our body was never designed to sit and lock into a position. So when you're sitting for a long period of time, you want to make sure that you've got a supportive ergonomic chair that supports your, your, your lower back, your mid-back. And you really want to be mindful of not looking down and leaning forward. It's really bad for not only your eyes, but your, your cervical spine. It causes a lot of neck and shoulder issues and nerve issues into your arms. So trying to keep a really good posture, looking straight ahead is ideal. And if you find yourself slumping, just get up. And I go walk up against the wall and I just put my arms back against the wall and just do some wall reaches. Oh, that's a good idea. And it really helps to sort of re-stimulate the muscles and nerves in your upper body mm-hmm. to remember to move because you weren't really designed to sit for eight hours at a day of time. Right. So I think getting up and moving, midday walk, that's really good, and that helps to reinforce your circadian rhythms. There was some really interesting research done on something called non-sleep deep rest protocols. And it was looking at deep breathing, meditation, and even taking naps during the day. Mm. Those are actually very therapeutic in terms of helping with metabolic function, brain function, and even improving sleep. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with taking a nap, 30 minutes, no more than 90 minutes. And most people, 30 to 45 would be optimal time. 
Um, meditation, I like yeah, headspace. You can there's all kinds of stuff on the web about that. And you can do this meditation during your day, take a break from your work. It helps to reset your nervous system and your focus. The other thing that I really like, and I think this is probably the most neglected, is doing some deep breathing. Deep breathing can be done in different forms. There's two main types that have been sort of explored by the bio, neurobiologists and the exercise physiologists. One was called box breathing. I don't know if you've heard of that. Mm -hmm. It was, I think, developed by the Navy SEALs in terms of helping them to sort of reset their brains and minimize stress responses. And basically, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a four count inhalation, ideally through your nose. You hold your breath for four seconds, then you exhale through your mouth for four seconds, and then you pause for four seconds. So it's like creating a square, like a box. Do that about 10 or 12 times, and I guarantee you, it will reset your, your focus. It will calm you down if you're stressed, engaged, like in a difficult task, or you're in an argument with somebody. Uh, I find that this thing, even if you're like, stuck in a traffic jam, if you do box breathing, it completely calms you, focused and alert the next time a stimulus comes to you. So deep breathing, box breathing, is I find it almost essential. That's great. And you can do this, you know, if you wake up first thing in the morning and you're stressed about something, uh, you, know, you saw something on your phone, or you, God forbid, turned on the news and saw another horrible story about whatever, the COVID, uh, uh, surge of COVID, that Delta variant, that can set you off immediately. And what I find is that's a great time to do your deep breathing before you go on to your walk. Mm. Because it really just calms you down. Basically, there's two nervous systems in our body. One is the sympathetic, which we need, which is our state of arousal, which is activated now when you and I are talking and engaging. And then there's the parasympathetic nervous system, which really allows your body to rest and calm and actually loose. And you, the, 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 para, the sympathetic nervous system starts in the morning works all day, and ideally it's just trying to shut off at night, and then your parasympathetic should take over and allow you to sleep for seven or eight hours. So um, that's a, also a very important Trisha, when you and I have the idea in our head to go eat a cookie or something, <laughs> yeah, right. the box breathing <laughs> sounds like a good yes. alternative. Yeah. It, that's it's really been good. shown to actually reduce cravings. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Well, because you're getting out of, like you said, you're getting out of this fight or flight mode and yes. you're turning yourself where I need stimulation, I need stimulation. And then you're turning on the yeah. mode of I'm okay right here, right now. It's yeah, interesting. Your body, like a your body will go through this all day long. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, and for some people, it, it's really hard to activate that. What I think is so interesting, Philip, is that it is in our control that we can actually... Absolutely. So from here to here to here to here. And you know Absolutely. what I mean? We actually can turn it on and we can turn it off and it's always available, which is crazy. To think and sometimes that. what you need to do, what I find with a lot of my clients, I have them put little reminders on their computer. Drink, get up, move, go take a walk, get some sunlight. Uh, visual reminders are wonderful for the brain. Mm. We respond very well to visual reminders. That's why it's great to write things down, whether you journal about your day. Um, I, I tell a lot of my clients sometimes, one thing that I tell them to do, and we'll talk about getting ready for bed and your sort of evening practices, to journal a little bit before you go to bed. There's been a lot of research that shows that journaling, and you do this preferably before you go to sleep at night, where you can actually sit down and document um, how your day has gone, the 
positive things that happen, even mention, mention some of the negative stressful events. And then before you go to sleep, write down about two or three things that you're grateful for. And that seems to set the brain in a very positive way before you go to sleep. It mm-hmm. actually activates some of the really good neurochemicals in your brain because it helps you focus on positive things that happen to you. Um, and, and people have reported better sleep or restorative sleep and, and more active dreaming while they've been asleep after they did gratitude journaling. Very interesting. So I found that to be a very important thing. I, and I have a lot of my clients do it. And it, it, this idea that you remind yourself about you are in control of your life and that there are many things to be grateful for and not be so you know, overwhelmed by all the negative news that's out there because we all have been bombarded. Yeah. You don't need to go into any of that. And I, 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 I have really encouraged my clients also during the day when they're working, shut off their devices. Don't look at Facebook. Don't look at Twitter. Don't look at your social media because it will completely distract you and actually put you into that fight or fight sympathetic nervous system response. It has been you know, very clearly documented. So try to keep your devices away from you when you're focused. You're trying to do your focus work. Can we talk a little bit about COVID? Yeah, sure. Because it seems as if we're having possibly another surge and how we can manage that and also the importance of vaccinations. I am a big proponent of vaccinations for a variety of reasons. And I've had a lot of different discussions with people on both sides of it and was pretty amazed to hear the gamut spectrum of why people don't get the vaccine. The reality is that our body's natural immunity and antibody system cannot handle the, the viral load of this virus. It is, I, I actually know lots of people who got it. I know lots of people who were not so lucky and some people who were lucky. Once the vaccine came and I was trying to explain to them, here's an opportunity to protect yourself and also understand what the vaccine basically does. It is basically a way of not only getting antibody protection, but it is a way for your body to recognize the virus if it comes again. It's sort of like that's how your antibody and immune system works. Most people's immune systems can't handle the viral load, especially with this new Delta variant. Sadly enough, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people haven't had it. Kids under 12 can't get it. Hopefully the Moderna and, um, and Pfizer are working on a vaccine. But, and kids, unfortunately, are very vulnerable because they don't have a developed immune system yet. So their antibody protection is very minimal. So I do believe in the vaccine. I think also that there are also ways to support your immune system. And that is much of what the protocol is about. Getting up early, having a balanced circadian rhythm, exercising regularly, doing some meditation. All of these things support immune function and brain function. So I'm, I'm, the only thing that I think I'm concerned about is that people have to also decide how they're going to manage their life coming out of COVID. Are they going back to work? Are they going to be going back to work on a hybrid schedule? So that still has yet to be determined. I think most people I know want to go back to some work schedule, some modified work schedule. There are some benefits to staying home. Obviously, you don't have to commute. But I think the change of environment for people is super healthy. But as for vaccines, I, I think they're very important. I talked to a lot of people in the infectious disease area, neurologists, pulmonologists who've seen the, the ravages of this of this uh, spike protein that attacks the lungs, that can attack the heart. And the only way to protect yourself is to get vaccinated. So I think it's critically important. And mask wearing, it looks like we might have to go back to mask wearing because you can still get the COVID virus, even if you're vaccinated, it might not show any bad symptoms. 
but you can still get it and you can still transmit it to other people. So it looks like we might be going back to mask wearing for a while until we build enough herd immunity. And I'm not sure when that comes. Let's skip to the end of the day and what we need to do right before we go to bed. What are the important beneficial things we can do? So I like to call them my best practices. So you have your early morning, your midday. Um, dinner, uh, very important, uh, should support the restfulness and your restorative sleep. Ideally, you should have some complex starchy carbs uh, with your dinner, whatever if you're having a protein like fish or salmon or you're having, you can have a complex carb, uh, whether it's a pasta, a potato, even a, a, a good organic dark bread. Uh, that seems to activate serotonin, which is a precursor to melatonin, which is absolutely essential for sleep. So if you're going to eat carbohydrates, it's good for preparing you to go to sleep, but also it is also a good form of energy that can be stored for you to give you energy during the day on the next when you rise in the morning. Especially if you're an endurance athlete, you're somebody who likes to get up and go for a run or go to the gym. Uh, carbohydrates are converted to something called glycogen, which is really your muscle uses in order to work out. So carbs are very important. I think in terms of preparing yourself to sleep, there's a lot of a lot of good research. One, your room should be cool and dark. Ideally, your body wants to go into a cooler state because your body temperature is going to drop overnight. And that actually allows you to go to sleep. Mattresses, there's been a lot of talk. I like the sleep number because you can adjust the firmness and the elevation if you want, or even the temperature of your bed. Um, there are There's a, a mattress called Helix, which is supposed to be made from some really good organic materials, um, which is also important because some of the commercial mattresses have chemicals in them. Mm. And there's been some research that shows some of this stuff can actually be released into your skin Ooh. and into your linens. So you don't want to buy a cheap mattress. So you want to get a good mattress that is organically certified, basically. And there are tons of them. And the same with your pillows. I didn't realize this until somebody spoke about this at a conference I heard. So that was really interesting. Another big thing, I would avoid taking melatonin before you go to sleep. Your body has its own natural melatonin capacity and ability to you know, be created and released from the pineal gland. It's uh, where it comes from. Um, there are natural sleep aids that actually help with the release of melatonin. Part of the problem with melatonin is that it is not regulated. So when you go and buy it, you don't actually know what to do because the FDA doesn't regulate. And it can also interfere with other hormones. It's been seen, shown to affect cortisol release, which you need in the beginning of the day. It's also seen to reduce or affect some of your thyroid hormones and some of your estrogen and testosterone too, which is very important. So I would avoid taking melatonin. What I found was something called magnesium threonate, uh, T-H-R-E-O-N-A-T. It's the best form of magnesium that really works well with your nervous system and with your body's ability to go to sleep and go into rest. Um, there's also something called L-theanine, L-T-H-A-N-I-N-E, um, 60 minutes before you go to bed. It's, these things work synergistically. I use them all the time and I go to sleep and I don't wake up. <laughs> do, if you do go to sleep and have a problem you're waking, just do some deep breathing. That's how you kind of reactivate that parasympathetic nervous system. And that can happen through, throughout the night. Very often people come out of their 90-minute sleep cycles and wake and then go back into one of those. Sometimes they wake and can't go back to sleep. 
That usually happens probably around one or two in the morning. So um, I would also suggest turn off all your devices, preferably two to three hours before you go to sleep. The blue light activates the cortisol and shuts down the melatonin. So it really interferes with your ability to get a good night's sleep. I'm the only living human on planet Earth that still takes baths. What about taking oh, yeah. a... Yes. That's a great... <laughs> Epsom salt baths too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's very interesting you mentioned that. There was a guy who did some research on that, and he found that if you took a bath, warm one, with very warm water, and with Epsom salts, because they're very healing for the body, it actually helps to... So good. Actually, it, what actually helps is your body temperature to actually drop, which is what your body temperature wants to do before you go to sleep. If, you're, if you ever notice, it's really hard to go to sleep when you're hot. Yeah. And or there's you know there's you know there's there's not you know enough cool air in your in your in your bedroom or you know in your body for example. So taking a bath, your body actually responds and helps to stimulate some of the processes that allow you to go to sleep. So a hot bath is actually good, or a hot shower. And mm -hmm. interestingly enough, conversely, taking a cold shower in the morning is another way to actually wake your nervous system up. Not ice cold, but cool water. It's another great way to wake up. One of my friends, um, the neurobiologist, did some studies with athletes, and he found that the first thing they woke up before they did their walk, their breakfast, and their caffeine, they got into a cool, cool shower. It kind of just activated their nervous system just enough to prepare for that cortisol release to get your circadian rhythms going. It's fascinating. And he said that he saw super, super improvement in their performance in terms of like their optimal sports performance. I think if I'm not allowed to have coffee for 90 minutes, I'm going to have to do the cold shower. It works. So, <laughs> it works. Well, I think we know what we need to do. I think the thing, the real key here is this understanding, this idea that you can leverage your own body's intrinsic technology. Your body is like remarkable. It knows what to do. Unfortunately, we have kind of like altered what our natural body's rhythms are by all these things, you know, whether it's too much stress or not working out enough foods we eat uh, that are not nourishing our systems and our metabolism and our hormones. Our bodies are remarkable machines. And if you just let them function optimally, you will be, have a very productive day and you will have a productive sleep at night, which allows you to have another productive day. And one of the things I just want to finish with, this idea about how important sleep is, they've done a lot of other good research on your body does a lot of detoxification during your sleep. Your brain, your body, it has been shown that actually People with dementia and early onset Alzheimer's, if they can help them regulate their sleep, they can slow down the degeneration of the Alzheimer's. So sleep was really critical to people with dementia and, and neurological uh, degenerative brain diseases. I thought it was fascinating. So fascinating. Yeah, sleep is, I, I, I mean, I think when I look at the four pillars, I say exercise, sleep, nutrition, and I guess, you know, stress management, which you can tie mindfulness into that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And part of that mindfulness is doing that deep breathing because it allows you to become mindful. <laughs> right, right, right. It sets you right up. Yeah. Wow. Wow, yeah. Philip, this has just been awesome. Thank you. You're very lots, welcome. Lots. Glad to be uh, able to share some of the information that has helped me uh, not only be uh, a more functional person and a good athlete, but also helping with my clients. I think more and more people are open to receiving this information if it's brought to their attention. You know, a lot of people are not educated on on all these parameters about how to optimize your productivity or how to use your body in a positive way to get optimal performance, whether it's in work, sports, or life. But it can be done.
And it can be done at any age. I love that. I mean, it's never too late to start. So, And I hear that a lot, interestingly enough, from some of my clients who said, oh, I haven't exercised my whole life. Is it too late to start? I said, absolutely not. Thank you for the work you do and helping people to live a great life. And thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, guys. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>